Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo find a movie, talk about its impact, how we like it, does it hold up, and this week we're talking about... Batman 1989, Batman 89, or just Batman. Yes, Batman. Probably one of the most important superhero films ever made. Absolutely. Probably one of the best Batman movies ever made. Yeah, a movie that surprisingly holds up, even though it's goofy as sin. But it's so, so good. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, you yes, guys are going to get an episode kind of like our Evil Dead episode where Dean just gushed the entire time. It is my turn. <laughs> it's your turn to finally gush all over a film. It is. I mean, like we had said, if you listened to the last episode, I hadn't seen this since the 90s. And it was one of those movies where it's kind of like, I didn't want to ruin it by watching it over time and like, you know, starting to see the cracks and, in the movie. And now it's kind of like, no, this is amazing. It's it's a movie where, um, look, it ain't, it ain't you know, uh, The Godfather or Anyone's a Time in America. It's it's a really good movie. It, it is one of the most fun films I think we've watched this year. Yes, definitely. It, it is really, like, goofy. It's a movie that I... I am so happy is as fun as I remember, but I'm I'm okay with it not being you know the 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 three course you know uh, Italian bistro meal. I'm happy with a delicious cheeseburger, and this movie is a delicious cheeseburger. Well, earlier you said this is a movie that you watch when you're eating uh, pizza and beer. Yes, yes. This is not this is not a wine and this is not a wine and steak movie. This is a this is a pizza and beer movie. Pizza, beer, and some wings, and you're having a good time. It, you really are. But the Batman or Batman. Bat. Bat- this is just, just Batman. Just Batman. Didn't need no thes. Same with the posters at the time. No Batman or anything, just the bat symbol. One of the smartest marketing decisions of all time. It worked. It got people talking, got people figuring out, what are we going to see come June? Yeah. And then, you know, history changed June of 1989. Yeah, in more ways than one. But, um... Where do you want to get started? You want to you want to tell people what what is this movie about? The elevator pitch, the two sentence summary. Batman, Joker, Gotham, epicness. That's it. That's all. That's all that, you needed. That's all you need. Yes. Um, but this is Batman. You know, we're starting with Batman's origin. So again, Martha and it, Thomas die. Totally his origin story. It comes up a little bit in the movie, but this is a, a seasoned Batman. He's already been on the streets a while. People people fear him. For a while, but he's still kind of new. Because we see when he takes down the, the first two thieves, he tells them, you know, tell your friends. And then that's when we get, I'm Batman. And that's the first time, because Michael Keaton, you know, kind of set that for all the upcoming Batman that, you know, you drop that, I'm Batman. Have you ever seen Michael Keaton on SNL? Yes. Okay, there, there's one bit, I don't know how long ago, and it's like, I don't know, he's, however old he is now, in his 60s, I think? Maybe. And he's on SNL, and somebody makes a, a quip, and they're just like, do the line. And he's like, I'm not going to say the line. He's like, do it! And he's like, I'm not going to say it, for God's sakes. It was 30 years ago, and they were like, say it, or you have to leave. And he's like, fine. And he looks down at the ground and just comes back and stares dead center down at the camera, just like, I'm Batman. And he just, just right there, he just transforms into Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He's Batman again. And it's like, it is, it is just so fun to see that. And I'm, I'm excited to see Bat, you know, sorry, Michael Keaton put the cowl back on. 
Because yes. it's coming up uh, next, next year. Next year in The Flash. I'm not sure what the title of that movie is. I, it's probably like Flashpoint Paradox or something like that. Yeah. I don't like the comic books. Yeah, I mean, as of today of this recording, his costume actually leaked. Uh, the new Bat costume. So, I'm so excited. I mean, I like Flash. Like, what we, we've seen from, like, Justice League. Because, I mean, Ezra Miller is a good actor. It's just... He, he got problems. He, he got some issues. Can't stay out of trouble. But I'm excited to see this new evolution and to see Michael Keaton be an older version of Batman. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see it, too. And it and it all started here. Do, do you want to just start with Michael Keaton in this movie? Because I think at the time... I'm Actually, no, for a fact. At the time, people did not want him as Batman. Oh, no. I mean, there was petitions to get him kicked out of the role. Um... There were even articles in the Wall Street Journal talking about how could they let Michael Keaton be Batman. He, he's Mr. Mom. He's, he's Mr. The, Mom. He's the comedian. Yeah, and it was even one of the chairmen of Warner Brothers at the time where he told uh, basically like Tim Burton and the rest of the, the crew, you know, over my dead body, Michael Keaton's going to be Batman. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Michael Keaton is amazing. You got to give this guy a chance. Which... It's kind of crazy if you if you look at the actors, the other actors who were up for the role. Mm-hmm. Because Michael Keane at the time, he was coming off of Beetlejuice, right? With Just barely. Just barely. He comes out like the year before. It's like a, this big hit. He's the he's the breakout. Yeah. Right? And everything before that is, oh, he's a guy. He's you know, a working actor, but he he's in comedies. The actors he's up against is... Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. Kevin Cosner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan, and Bill Murray. Mr. Yeah. Bill Murray. Bill, Mr. Meatballs. Bill Murray was this close to becoming <laughs> Batman. He, I think he was the front runner for the majority of pre-production. And this movie came out the same year as Ghostbusters. So Bill Murray's coming off that high of the first Ghostbusters. And it's like, yeah, you could kind of see it if it was going to be taken from like a comedy aspect if it was going to be more in line with like the campy adam west series yeah but this one they were like no we want serious and even though michael keaton's known for you know comedy it's like no i'm gonna pull it out of me and be a serious actor in this movie which is is interesting because the movie is is goofy right like the the movie is (laughs) it's cartoony yeah people like to talk about it's like oh this is the dark you know gothic batman and I've even been guilty of saying, oh, it's like goth Batman. No, we, we get that with uh, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, but when we watch this movie now and it's, wow, this is like really close to being like an action comedy. And Michael Keaton is really playing up some parts where he's Bruce Wayne as, as like a prat man or a physical comedy guy. Mm-hmm. It's always funny when he, set, he sets the wine glass down and it almost falls over and Albert's behind him just picks it up like it's a Three Stooges bit. Or when he's signing like the guest book and he puts the pen of the topiary and alfred's behind him you know picks Has, the pen out of the puts tree it on the tray walks away it's it's funny to see alfred following um bruce around and just like picking stuff up because he knows bruce cannot take care of himself well that and it also shows you know without ever having to say a word that this is their relationship that he is still very much the same little boy that you know he's taken care of since his parents were killed making sure he's being taken care of exactly it's never changed it's still the same dynamic that they've always had yeah, and I think that it also goes well into the performance. And Michael Keaton, as as Batman, when he was reading the script and Tim Burton was asking him to be in the movie, they came to the same conclusion about the character, mm-hmm. was, I'll play this role, but only 
if I'm allowed to play him as an absolute lunatic. Yeah. Because that's how Michael Keaton not only read it off the page, because, yeah, Batman's Bruce Wayne is a crazy person. He's dressed up as a bat and beats up, like, criminals. Can yeah. I play him like a psychopath? And Tim Burton's like, absolutely, same way I read him. And in the movie, you kind of get that, where Bruce Wayne's a little unhinged mm. when he smashes the uh, the vase with the thing and tells the Joker, let's get nuts. You want to get nuts? I love that scene so much because you see him go into Beetlejuice. You could hear it in his voice and it's like, oh my god, there's Beetlejuice for just a split second. <laughs> where, where he, every time he pops off, he just turns into Beetlejuice. You know, like, come on! And I was just like, that's Beetlejuice right there. It's awesome. <laughs> it, it is awesome. And you can tell that he is having so much fun yeah. in this role. I, I mean, the only there's only one other person in this movie having more fun than Michael Keaton. And that's, and that's the ham. It's not even having more fun. Having the time of his life. Having the better cocaine. And that is, that is Jack Nicholson as the Joker. The who, Jack attack. The Jack attack. Oh my god, Jack Nicholson in this movie. Because he's in a different movie, right? How the man didn't win an Oscar, I will never know. Because this <laughs> performance was just... The, I, out of the park. This is not an Oscar performance, okay? But it is one of the most fun, like, in unhinged, insane performances ever. I will fight it. He deserved an Oscar for being the Joker. Sure, sure. You, you can argue that all the time. I think he did win, like, a Best Supporting Actor nod for the BAFTAs or the Golden Globes. He was nominated for the Golden Globes. They they really petitioned hard Warner Brothers for this movie to be nominated for everything. You know, Best Actor, Best um, Supporting Actor. And they only won one Oscar, which is, I think it was Best Set Design? It was Best Set Design, which... By the way, yeah, absolutely makes sense because this movie looks so cool. Yeah, I mean, even um, Roger Ebert, he was like, you know, this is cool, that's cool. He's like, the story, I don't feel like I can really, you know, connect with the characters that we're seeing on the screen. But he's like, you feel like you're in Gotham. You feel like these buildings are, you know, just going straight up into the clouds. It feels like you're really submerged in the atmosphere of this movie. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to agree with roger ebert like the movie it's kind of like juicy fruit in terms of its theme and it's kind of kind of like ooh, wherewithal like you know a, a tour story driven cinema where oh it, this is a movie that really is like you can chew on and it tastes really good for a couple of minutes and then it turns into into rubber really quick yeah but the world and the design of the movie is gorgeous like this movie looks so cool you can tell everybody's having a lot of fun, and this is a fun movie, but it's not, it ain't the seventh seal, you know, and the, but that's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, but, but Jack Nicholson, I don't even think he gives up. fuck if he's in the seventh seal or not. No, he is just living the life, he is the Joker, and then when you see documentaries, like, years later, just that smile comes back, and he was like, that was such a great time. Jack Nicholson seems like the kind of guy who probably eh, i do a role i get paid for it whatever like really nonchalant but he will show up to any batman 89 like doc or thing or whatever because when he was getting the role for this he had the craziest deal ever right yeah he, he wanted top billing he wanted to be paid more than anyone else in the movie like by far he wanted um bunch he wanted more points than anybody else on the back end and he wanted like marketing yeah. Like, any toy that gets sold, I want a direct check of gross, not profit. So you can't do Hollywood accounting. And I think it's, like, he got paid 
like what, like over a hundred million dollars over think, the first year. I think he walked away with sixty million and whatever he's getting in residuals. Yeah, he, he's still making bank. He gets cuts of it every time. But it's so crazy because it seems like he did not want to do the movie because oh he he just seemed like he just I was just doing this for a paycheck. I want a big payout. But every time it comes up, he's like yeah, he still got he still has the Batman eighty nine blazer with a little Joker symbol on it. Like I've seen him wear that at Laker games this year. Yeah, well, I mean, he's also a huge comic book fan, yeah. so it was I think an issue of, you know, I really want to do it, but I don't know if it's going to pan out. And then they were considering giving the role of the Joker to Robin Williams, and he was really close to signing. And he, Jack Nicholson was like, no, never mind. I got to do this. Yeah. And then Rob, Robin Williams was pissed. And he was like, you know what, Warner Brothers, you have to give me like a public apology because that was fucked that you just brought me in and then cut me out just to get Nicholson. I mean, he, not only that, Here, here's the list of people that were considered. Fucked, yeah. Considered. So Robin Williams was literally like, ink's, up, ink's about to be written on mm-hmm. page. He was actually the closest. The other people considered were Tim Curry, John Lithgow. Brad Dorf, Ray Liotta, James Woods, and David fucking Bowie. Well, David Bowie. You're missing one person on that list because this movie took 10 years to make. Yes. So yes. it's been through so many different hands and studios, but very early in the the um in the project, they wanted Willem Dafoe to be the Joker. Yes, yes, that that is that is true. He actually okay. Because I know, I know this, because you know, the Wilm well, the Foe historian, he wasn't considered to be the Joker. At first, people, everyone thought he was going to be the Joker, because mm-hmm. that's like, oh, he's going to these meetings, we don't know what's up, blah, 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 and they thought, oh, he's an actor, he's going to do the Joker, what have you. But years later, when people finally, like, figured out what's going on, he was on the short list of actors to become Bruce Wayne. Hmm. He was, yeah, he was on the list of actors to become Bruce Wayne, not the Joker, but he was never on the um uh, contract negotiations it was just hey willem buddy mm-hmm. we're doing this movie just gauging interest kind of thing yeah everyone else uh, i think had an offer on the table i think he just never got an offer on the table for either of the roles yeah because i know mel gibson was kind of game for this movie but he was doing lethal weapon 2 yeah and then once we got to schumacher they came back to him for batman forever and he was doing braveheart so it's like we we got very close to having a a, Mel, Mel, a Mel Gibson Gips. Bruce Wayne. We and the other one that's crazy is um Kevin Costner. Yeah. Who you know, we did a we did on Untouchables on this um podcast for like really recently, and he was one of the he was like the it guy. Yeah, at the time of at the time, you know that late eighties, early nineties, like he you know dances with wolves, Untouchables, Field um, of Dreams, Field of Dreams. He destroys the studio with Waterworld, but he was a huge star. And it it's one of those things where I look at it and did they get Jack Nicholson and then they had to get somebody cheaper, quote unquote, for Batman? Because I well, feel like Michael Keaton probably didn't cost them all that much money. Well, that and I think the, they were also kind of working off that model that they did with Superman with Christopher Reeves, mm-hmm. where they got Marlon Brando and it's like, okay, let's get a smaller actor that we could build into... This, you know, powerhouse that is Superman. Yeah, well, I mean, God, Christopher Reeves for Superman, he was a total unknown. Like, he, I don't, I think he had done a movie before Superman. Where, whereas Michael Keaton had been doing movies for a 
few years up to that. I think he already had an established career. But, but it's he like, was a he's a much smaller actor than Jack Nicholson. Like I give you that. Yeah, so I think it was that thing of you know, okay, let's see how we can pair the two off. And I know I saw in interviews where Michael Keaton was like, "I'm super intimidated because that's Jack Nicholson. You know, that's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, how can I compete with that?" And he met Jack, and he's like, "It's cool. Don't worry about it. We're good. Just have a good time." You, you want to know my favorite Jack Nicholson quote about this movie to Michael Keaton? What? He's like, my man, it's so great. The makeup does half the work for you. Because he's under tons of makeup. Oh, yeah. And Jack Nicholson's like, I get to wear all this makeup. No one's going to care how, how well I'm acting. I just have get to be a goofball. Oh, fuck yeah. That I think that's the real power of his performance. And Michael Keane's performance is, look, we're in the iconography. Yeah. Everyone's just going to be concerned is, do we look like the comic books? And are they having fun? We as actors, we can we can just cruise on the vibe. And this movie's got a vibe. Oh yeah, and I mean, at the time, this was you know still when Jack Nicholson was partying and everything. Mm. So they gave him late call times because they know like well realistically he gets home from dinner and parties at like three a.m. So we're gonna have him come in at ten a.m. do his makeup, and he usually falls asleep in the chair while we're doing prosthetics and everything. Mm. <laughs> or while he's out, you know, having dinner, he misses his basketball games. So we're going to tape him for him. So when he does wake up and we're still working on him, he's got something to watch. You want to know and the best part? I'm like, that's part? the life right there. That's not even a producer's decision. That was in his contract yeah. to do the film. Again, Jack Nicholson had the greatest deal in all of Hollywood history mm-hmm. for this. Uh, he got to make his own schedule, too. Like, he, he was the one who dictated the call times for the Joker scenes, which are insane. Yeah. Uh, but, I uh, mean, even Prince, who is attached to this project, was like, you know, we're writing and collaborating, and here comes Jack Nicholson, just walks in the room, puts his foot on the table, and is like, what's up? And he's just like, coolest guy around. And he's like, yeah. and then we started talking about Batman. It's just like, yeah. The dream. The dream to be sitting at that table witnessing it. Yeah. Yes, to, to see um, Prince Jack Nicholson just, just rapping <laughs> about Batman. That's good. Yeah. But... But we, we got to talk about probably the most concrete, creative voice of this film. That's your favorite director of all time. The the man, the myth, the legend. The man who's has had a questionable career as of late. Mr. Mr. Timothy Burton. The, Tim the, Burton. Tim Burton, I, I was yes. trying to make his name sound fancier, but I really... Yeah, Tim Burton. There you, you go. Are you okay? I'm having a moment. I know you are. The man's movies that sculpted my life. Yes, Mr. Tim Burton... Uh, this was, I believe, his third movie. I believe so, because he does Pee-wee's Big Adventure before this. And Classic. R- and right after this, it's Beetlejuice. Right after Pee-wee is Beetlejuice. And once they brought Tim Burton on, it was like, okay, you have this, but we want to see your numbers that you pull in from Beetlejuice, and then you'll fully have the movie. And opening weekend, smash, they're like, okay, you got it, you're in. Uh, we can't believe it, and it's like, you want to bring in Michael Keaton, but it's like, wow, he was actually really good in Beetlejuice, so we're gonna trust you, Tim. Yeah, and it, it's crazy to think about, because he has two movies mm-hmm. leading up to this, and I don't I don't know about you, but like, okay, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, sure, fun movie, but it's, it's a, it's a particular kind of family film, I guess. You haven't seen it yet. I, yeah, I guess, but I've seen so, Beetlejuice a few times. Off of Beetlejuice, do you look at that and say, this guy. 
we're going to give him the keys to the kingdom to direct one of the most popular IPs of all time. Absolutely. <laughs> Just off of Beetlejuice alone. Absolutely. Beetlejuice has so many layers. I mean, Michael Keaton has so much range. He is Beetlejuice, but we see him, you know, transform into different characters within seconds. It's like, yeah, Michael Keaton can do it. Well, yeah, Michael Keaton, but Tim Burton. Because Tim he, Burton's got the a, eye, though. He does. He has a very, very particular vision and a very particular, I guess, a particular style of filmmaking. He's really influenced by things like German expressionism. Everything mm -hmm. has these like dark shadows, big lines. Everything feels like it's painted, even if it's like just regular set design. And, and the Art Deco look of the movie is is paramount. That is like burton like handwriting all over yeah it. and it's, it's just one of those things i look at it and batman is the blank check that his career has been writing on for oh, two decades absolutely because i mean right after this movie is when we get edward scissorhands so this was like okay you do this right you get to do whatever you want next and it's like i've been wanting to do this sinks the shot i mean i i really feel think that's true because he gets okay after Batman, he does Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, which, yeah, does good numbers, but it's a movie that starts, like, weird controversy yeah. because it's a little too Tim Burton. But then after that, he does Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, and then Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Right? Planet of the Apes feels like the only one of those where, okay, you have to do it because it's a paycheck. Like, yeah. we, we need, you need a studio film. But the other, all the other ones are, all right. You made Batman. It was like the fifth highest grossing film of all time on release. Mm -hmm. You you get the keys to the kingdom, kid. You yeah. get X number of like mid-budget movies. Do whatever the fuck you want. Mm -hmm. And he, he kind of pays it off. It's just, my God. It, it seems so weird to me that he made Batman. Well, I mean, they're not only basing it off of just Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. He also worked for Disney for... A couple of years, and during that... He was that, an animator, right? He was an animator, but he also did short films. He did uh, Vincent, he did Frank and Weenie, mm -hmm. and that's why the people that at Warner Brothers that wanted to do Batman again, they were kind of like, hey, we can see that he's really good with working kind of on the darker side of movies. He, and I think he's what it really was is he's great at working elevated like he's he's work, okay working in these elevated worlds is what and that's what they need for a comic book movie. yeah because he can create his own world he could also create it in a dark kind of dreary way because we had adam west up until this batman and for a while it's like that's what people were thinking of batman as you know the campy goofy uh kind of kid-friendly batman and they were like no we want dark batman we want depressed and I think it was genius for them to pick Tim Burton and to also kind of model the movie off of uh, The Dark Knight and The Killing Joke. Do you want to do you want to talk about that real quick? Sure. You know, just, we'll, we'll leave Tim Burton behind, but we got to talk about The Shadow. I mean, we never leave Tim Burton behind, but we're going to skip topics right now. Because we got to talk about The Shadow of Adam West that is all over this movie. Yeah. Because the movie's tone is, is like you're saying, it's trying to be this like dark gritty gothic film mm -hmm. right and it is trying to be as polar opposite to the bright fun campy adam west as possible yeah and that was a big thing when tim Burton came on the project he's like okay we're gonna do this darker we're definitely leaving the blue costume and the tights 
and the underwear. It's like, no, we're going like, you know, full fight suit. This man's going to be a bat. And, and this is, that's also the reason why they d- chose not to have Robin in the film. Yeah. They wanted this to just, it's just Batman and Alfred. Mm-hmm. All right. Because they're the only characters that we have to have in the movie. We don't need anyone comparing it to Batman 66 or 69, somewhere in there. Yeah. And the other thing is the movie has to not be campy. It can't be a comedy. It can't be a straight comedy. No. It can't be all brightly colored and bringing in Burton and also setting the tone way down because half the movie is like a crime drama with Jack Nicholson, Mm -hmm. right? Because the Joker comes up and he takes over this crime family and he's testing this Granted, it's a comic booky, you know, plot where, yeah. oh, he's going to poison the city with his own laughing gas. And he's mm-hmm. going to turn everybody as ugly as he is. And you have the rest of the movie being, okay, it's kind of this adventure, uh, dark, gritty um, action film. Maybe not gritty. This, it, this ain't the French connection, but you know what I mean. It's- but also seeing Joker not be Joker. We get to see him be his own person mm-hmm. until he's turned into the Joker. Yeah, the movie does have a pretty long build-up before it becomes, I guess, like, the cartoon. Because I think the opening of the movie is is fantastic, where it's the people running through the city, and then they get mugged, and then Batman appears and swoops down on the worst grappling hook effect I've ever seen in cinema. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I was kind of surprised seeing the opening, because it's been a while, and I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna get, you know, the, the Bruce Wayne story, and it's like, oh no, we're seeing his story basically be replayed again, but he comes and he saves the day. Yeah. Because so I was like, okay, that's that's unique, because we don't really get that. We usually get, okay, here's young Bruce Wayne, and then here's the man today. Yeah, the movie has a, a lot of movies now definitely put, oh, this is a straight origin story at the, fr- at the mm-hmm. forefront. And this really, it, it's not an origin story. It's a Batman movie. Yeah. And the origin just kind of comes up because it ties in with, oh, the Joker. He killed his parents. But you don't find that out until, God, almost in the climax of the movie. Yeah. But the beginning of the movie, it's like, all right, action movie. I'm Batman. Cool. And then it cuts away from, you know, comic book, you know, action stuff and becomes a crime drama with, you know, Jack Nicholson and his, like, cronies and they go into the whole oh we're gonna knock over this chemical plan it's gonna be great and da 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 and then he gets thrown to the acid and turns into the joker and we see batman basically create the joker yeah and it's it's just interesting because the movie's a lot more violent than adam west batman oh yeah it's it's like there's also a lot more like i guess adult stuff going on like there's like a little bit of like sexuality to Mm -hmm. it you know they're like, Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale are obviously, like, really into each other. Yeah. Um, and Joker's obviously into Vicky Vale. Very much. And there's, like, a little bit of swearing in this movie, which kind of kind of threw me off. Yeah. So I remember this being, like, a kid's movie. Or we were just watching this as kids and... All that stuff. It just went right sh- over our head. Pro- probably. But, th- yeah, it's just this movie in the shadow of Adam West, because that's what's going on here. There, a lot of the production decisions, I feel, were made explicitly to be the opposite of Adam West Batman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see the fear in the studio because it's like, you know, okay, comics come out. Oh, Batman's really cool. He's dark. He's edgy. Then we get Adam West where it's fun for kids, but it's like, well, that's not really Batman from the comics. But then um, he's so popular. That's what 
Batman from the comics becomes. That's what he turns into, and then, you know, there's talks about, well, what if we made a new Batman movie and we bring him back to who he used to really be? I, okay. Like, I understand the whole, oh, Batman at his ori- origins was dark and gritty, but he really, the dark, he, he wasn't the killing joke out of the gate. No. He was just slightly more, I guess, slightly more nuanced than Superman, which that's not saying a whole lot. He was only slightly more. Because OG Batman, he was super kid-friendly. Like, he he wasn't, you know, uncovering drug paraphernalia and like, oh, we're talking about heroin needles and we're, we're knocking over gangsters. He was, he was fighting, you know, Two-Faced, who yeah. robbed the Second National Bank on Tuesdays, on the 2nd of February. Like, that was Batman, even Ooh. in the 30s, even in the Golden Age. And the thing is, that's the whole thing with, like, comic book censorship and comic book coding where he had to be super like family friendly yeah like almost out of the gate but yeah there was a few years where he was a little bit more gritty but this movie is like all right guys batman he needs to be cool again he can't he can't just be fun he needs to be cool you can tell the producers are like what do the kids think are cool these days all right prince we're gonna put prince in this fucking movie and then Tim Burton's like, uh, what? Yeah, you know what else is cool? We're gonna have a bat dance. Yeah, we're gonna put a bat dance in this. You know what else is cool? Diet Coke. We're gonna have a Diet Coke ad, yeah. Well, it was the late 80s. It was. But that's the thing. You can see the hand of, like, the producers and the marketing department all over this movie. Of course. I mean, he was still kind of a newish director, so they're like, we're gonna give you freedom, but not all the freedom. Yeah, we have final say. And you see what him having all the freedom is once you see Batman Returns. Yeah. And it gets, gets into some weird leather mommy stuff. Yeah. I mean, love Michelle Pfeiffer, though. And she was considered for Vicky Vale in this movie. Yeah. But she was also dating Michael Keaton at the time, and Michael Keaton's like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. I don't want to work with my girlfriend. And then the studio's <laughs> like, okay... But then, you know, Batman Returns came and they're like, yeah, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to put your girlfriend in the movie this time. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I have nothing against Kim Bassinger in the movie, but Basinger? Bassinger? Basinger? From the documentaries, I heard Bassinger. I've grown up thinking it's Basinger. Oh, so Kimmy. So, so Kim, yeah. Yeah, so her in the movie, she's good. She's showing up to work, but she's not, she's, she's not the standout of the movie. She screams a little bit too much for me. She's playing that damsel in distress. It's, yeah. It's, it's the effect of the decade it came out in. Yeah, I'm just like, if she had, like, maybe done a couple, I would have been okay. But it was just like, like, girl, you know, come on, you gotta quit with the screaming. It's like, I, I get it, you're scared. I mean, maybe falling off a building, yeah, I'd scream, but, like, not for every little thing in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm okay with her. It's just, I think all the movies I've seen her in have been bad, because I've seen her... It, the only other movie I've seen her in is Cool World, and that movie is really bad. I, pr- I might have seen her in other things, I just don't remember. Same here. But, you know, her in this, she's good, you know, yeah. she's playing the role she's been given is, oh, you know, beautiful blonde reporter. Damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah that, that's her line. But yeah, so that that's, you know, the shadow of, of Bruce Wayne and, and the actors and Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Where, where are we leading this, this boat off now? Because, I mean, there's just so much about this movie to talk about. Do you want to talk about the time it was released in? Like, would you want to get into the impact, the marketing, the legacy? I mean, the marketing for this movie is insane. 
Yeah, I think that's probably something that people would find interesting. Yeah, I mean, marketing now, we're so used to, we get a new movie, expect new toys, new shirts, books. Trailers, um, trailers all the time. Trailers on top of trailers, websites. If it's a big movie, it'll have a TV spot. Mm -hmm. If it's a really big movie and it's on the right time, you'll have a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. It'll have tie-ins to Coke, Dr. Pepper. It'll, it's going to be everywhere. All right. We now get red band trailers. Yeah. Good example. Think like the Multiverse of Madness or like Spider-Man Far From Home, like mm. recent releases, right? Yeah. Where shit's plastered everywhere. It's on mm-hmm. buses. Movies didn't used to be like that. There's a marketing thing, but usually it was, oh, movies like, oh, you get a preview before, you know, or trailer, right? And that's trailer. usually, oh, you're going to the movies anyway you see it. Cool. Maybe you'll see a billboard. Maybe it'll be on a bus bench. Maybe it'll be on a side of a bus. But that's like, you know, what you were doing. Maybe there was a radio ad. Your local radio station would be like, hey, kids, come down to the old drive-in. We're showing Jaws this weekend. Or a clipping in a newspaper. Clipping in a newspaper. But with Batman, because this comes out in 89, it kind of changed the game because this is one of the earliest movies where you had TV spots. You had you had um, merchandising tie-ins. McDonald's toys were about this movie. There were toys for everybody in this movie. Bob, the you know, the henchman mm-hmm. that only gets a name after Joker kills him, has an action figure. The The fact that the movie had anything you could stick a bat symbol on, there was, there was a Batman. Mar- that was a marketing choice. But the craziest thing about that, because... It's not later until we're getting close, close to getting the movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. Was before then they're like, "Hey, we're gonna drop the trailer, but we're gonna drop the trailer in a movie that's already been out for a while, mm-hmm. and just see what the audience does with this ninety-second trailer." Yeah, they go, they drop it. Audience goes freaking nuts, mm-hmm. and then people are talking and they're like, "Hey, they're playing it at this movie over here, like in Westwood. Go watch it," and it turns into such a demand. That people start recording it and then selling copies of the trailer because people are like, I gotta have this. I need to have it. And this was back in the in 89. So these are like like shoulder VHS yeah. cameras, all right? These ain't small like iPhones. No. And that's the that's the thing. This movie, I think its biggest biggest legacy, right, is it created the hype machine for superhero films. Because we had Richard Donner's Superman, which mm-hmm. You know, big media gamble, you know, oh, we're making a movie on the biggest IP in the world. Yeah. But it was a gamble, you know, and they marketed like you do like a prestige film of like this late 70s, right? But this was like, all right, guys, we are now deep in corporate America. We're in the Reagan 80s. We're in this to make some fucking money. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do that? We're going to stick Batman logos on anything that will hold it. T-shirts, hats, underworld, pajamas, Desks, lamps, uh, trash cans. I mean, stick pe- it everywhere. People were even st- stealing the posters at bus stops. Yeah. Because they were just like, I gotta have that poster. And it was a thing where Warner Brothers was like, well, they took all the posters we put out a couple days ago. We gotta reprint them and go put them back in bus stalls again because it was just so popular. They- Stores were selling out of Batman products. And that's the thing. It was the hype train. And, it- and that's the thing. People nowadays, it I think hype is a thing where it comes like it's really high for a couple of weeks and then it drops dramatically. Yeah. You know, you have to catch a film particularly in a very specific window. Mm-hmm. 
and that's just because of the internet. The internet has accelerated the hype machine. Yeah, because I mean, if it's like a superhero movie, we get the hype at Comic Con when it first drops. We get the hype leading up to like the month or months right before the film drops. But it's a lot different. And the other thing is nowadays you get like you can kind of get half the movie from the, the trailer from not only from the trailer but just from like leaks or spoilers or whatever yeah but like you know 89 like for, you, you can't you, you just had to see the movie like there oh, was no internet be, to leak anything on it, yeah it became a thing where all right guys we every everybody is hyped as fuck about this movie all right and you don't know really anything about it the only way you're gonna know is if you show up on opening night and you become, you know, one of the few people to see Batman. So you know, is this good? Is this real? Is it, is this actually something that, that's going to pay off on the hype machine? I mean, even to date this movie, it was a thing of, you know, since there was no internet, a lot of stuff you had to rely on was magazines and newspapers. The first time they brought the Batmobile out onto the set, they were, you know, extremely nervous about who's on set with a camera that could take a picture of the Batmobile on set and sell it to the the closest tabloid. Yeah. And it's just like, that is, you know, night and day compared to, oh yeah, here, you know, some set leaks and you see people in their costumes. I mean, up until then, it was just, you gotta wait till the trailer. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the craziest thing about this movie is it laid down the foundation how every other tentpole summer blockbuster will run its playbook. Because Mm -hmm. you can see it in all the films now, right? Marvel's releasing Multiverse of Madness, which yeah. is the new Doctor Strange movie. It's, it should be coming out soon, right? Like, it comes out next month. This comes out next month. Right, comes out next month. We have trailers already. This movie has... I've seen billboards for it all over the place. I I get the trailer as an ad on every yeah. video on YouTube. And I know, I know Disney's paying a, go- a fucking penny for that. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's a thing where that's just become the norm. Mm-hmm. And Batman... 89 was really one of the first movies to to create that normalcy of creating the hype train yeah and because uh, i kind of want to i think a good way to like contextualize this is the time it was released mm-hmm. released in 89 i i got the uh, box office here do you want to you want to hear this one yeah let's go for it all right because 1989 number one film domestically all right because we only do domestic here is batman right mm-hmm. number two indiana jones and the last crusade mm-hmm. right after that is lethal weapon 2 which, okay, sequels, action franchises, okay, we, yeah, understandable. Yeah. But then you have Rain Man as the mm-hmm. fourth highest grossing film of 89. And then Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then Look Who's Talking? Like, okay, Rain Man, that's a, that's a drama, but it's, that's a movie, if it came out now, would be like a, an A24 drama that plays in like six theaters and you don't see it until the Oscar noms. Yeah, I, I could see how that would be kind of pushed to the side because everything right now is we want action. We want big. We want bold. We want spectacle. We want spectacle. And then, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's a kids movie that nowadays would be a made-for-streaming movie for, like, Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And then Look Who's Talking. That You explained that movie to me, and I'm like, this movie <laughs> should not know how. It's the talking baby movie with John Travolta. How? But it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah. But in terms... Like, if that movie came out now, would you think it would be, like, the sixth highest grossing film of this year? Probably not. 
but that's that's the thing. Like the world this movie came out in, and I mean, is it, so it, different. It even came above Ghostbusters too. Yeah, which is kind of crazy because, uh, Grant, Ghostbusters two is much different than the first Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I can see people having like a little bit of like a meh to Ghostbusters two. I, I like it, but it, it's weird because like Ghostbusters two that has hype behind it. Yeah, Dead Poet Society right after Parenthood. And I mean, mm. the first Ghostbusters, I think, probably helped this movie because the toys were a massive thing when Ghostbusters came out. That's that's true. That that's probably a thing where, oh. Ghostbusters come out and it's really big and it's really big amongst like kids. Okay, we make a we here have some have some toys. Oh, they sell really well. You know what else will probably work? Let's make a cartoon. Let's make an animated Ghostbuster series. And the the Batman also spawned arguably one of the greatest animated television shows in American of TV. all time. Yeah, I mean, without Batman eighty nine, we would not have Batman the animated series. We with that we won't have Superman the animated series, Justice, Justice League the League. animated series, the Bruce Tim animated universe, which includes Static Shock. Like, come on. I mean, this movie, you know, launched the cinematic animated uh, history for Warner Brothers. Yeah, and it it's kind of insane because I think people argue now that you know, oh, Marvel has the best live action movies, but DC has like better written comics, mm-hmm. has much much better animated movies and and arguably better television shows i mean i just watched hush not too long ago the and animated film yeah after, I, I read the book you know before we started batman month and i absolutely fell in love with it and i was like i'm not i don't know how i'm gonna feel about it some things were changed in the the movie yeah the adaptation because yeah. you're, you're adapting a i don't know 300 page comic book into 90 minutes but hours. i still loved it i'm like it's an animated movie but I was so engrossed in it the whole time. It's just like, wow, DC does a really good job. And that's and that's the thing about Batman eighty nine. Without Batman eighty nine, we re- we don't get an animated DC branch. Mm-mm. Like I said, that just doesn't happen. And if we do, it's it's something totally different. And we don't get you know two of the best actors to portray the to inhabit the roles of all time. Yeah, Kevin Conroy as Batman and and, Mar- my, and uh, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Praise be to Luke Skywalker. Another love of mine. I know, I know. But that's, it's just a crazy thing to think. In terms of impact, this movie, it runs deep. Oh, yeah. So deep. Even the scoring in this movie, because we have the companion album that's done by Prince. Which, which, which is, is so weird, right? Yeah, which is so left field, but for Warner Brothers, it was because he's a Warner Brothers artist. And so, he was, like, one of the most popular musicians of the, of the decade. Oh, yeah. So it was like, okay, we're going to merge these two, you know, these two trains together and make, like, a super train. And Tim Burton's like, I really love Prince as an artist, but I don't really see him... Be- he- making the Batman song? Yeah, basically. And, you know, even Prince was kind of like, I understand his hesitation, but he's like, I love Batman, and I just, I gotta be part of this project. But... The scoring on this is so iconic, and I mean... Done done by Danny Elfman. Who is just, oh my god, I love Danny Elfman too. And, you know, he was with Tim Burton at his start. He was, you know, he did the music for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice. I think he does the music for almost all of them. All of his movies. And, And the other thing is, the Batman score is so iconic, and Elfman becomes so attached to these superhero movies he does the score for spider-man mm-hmm. and people are like oh it's just 
the Batman score again. It's tweaked a little bit, but is that the curse of Danny Elfman is when he has to do big, bombastic hero scores, they just all sound like Batman? No, I think it's just his styling, because I was sitting there listening to the opening of this movie, which is, you know, the Batman theme. Yeah. And I was like, I could kind of, like, pick up on different movies here and there, but I think that's just part of being a musician. He he knows his riffs, and he knows his chords, and he repeats them as, and as he needs. Exactly, and if you're a fan, you start to pick up, you're like, oh, I could hear a little bit of Beetlejuice, oh, I could hear maybe a little bit of Nightmare Before Christmas and that, mm-hmm. but it's just... The theme to this movie is so iconic, it's up there with the Superman theme, where it's like you hear it and you know exactly what movie it is, you get the chills, you feel like, you know, you're watching it for the very first time. Like, that's, I think that's the thing, like, every aspect of this movie hit somewhere and made it, like, an overnight success. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to talk about, like, I guess the impact this movie had outside of the movies, because, like, I'm, I'm a comic book nerd. You are. I... You've worked in a comic book shop. I've worked in a comic book shop. I've read comics since I was a young young lad, and I I can speak from very strong experience because the shop that I worked for was opened in uh, 1990, like after the release of mm. Batman, and comic books overnight became the most popular thing to, to pick up because, oh, Batman became cool? Batman's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So comic book shops became like flooded, and people were like, oh, these comic books I had as a kid, you know, these old Batman comic books, how much are they now? Oh, that much? I paid pennies for these. They're worth thousands now? And then people, that's created like that speculator thing where people started picking up comic books all left and right and it blew up and eventually until like Marvel burst that bubble yeah. by overprinting a bunch of books and now 90s books are worthless. But the movie outside of just film had had a deep impact like they are making a batman 89 series today i have it yeah you do (laughs) which is interesting because people still look back fondly and and just want this this version of batman to keep going because it was so much fun it's like it feels fantasy but it also feels real at the same time it's it's the it's the style of the movie, the production of the movie. This is probably my favorite Gotham. It's it's so it looks like a comic book. It looks so fantastical. But I could see this Batman and this Joker and this world. I can see this existing, and it's such a testament to the direction and the design and or the production of the film. And looking at it, because it doesn't look like a real city like in Batman Begins or the Batman. Yeah. But it, it, but it's so elevated, it like transcends it, and I'm like, oh, I'm in another, I'm in another world. Yeah. Like I'm transported into Gotham City. This is Gotham City. Mm-hmm. This isn't Chicago dressed up like Gotham. Mm-hmm. This is, is Gotham. Gotham. And that, that's the thing. Like I love the Gotham in this movie. It is gorgeous. I want to live here. Something I was gonna ask you earlier in the episode was before you watched the movie. Uh huh. What did you remember about the movie? Was there like a scene that stood out to you that you remembered? And it was kind of like, I forget everything around it. The, the, the one that I remember the most, and it's like the only scene I remember of this movie, because it's been a, it was a blank for me for like decades. It's the Joker dancing around with like a jackass in the museum mm-hmm. as they're like tagging up the paintings and it's the print song. Yeah. And yeah, that's the only thing I remembered about this movie. I remember did nothing else. And that was, that, and that was actually a tough scene for Jack Nicholson because he's a huge art fanatic. And, and he, he was felt, just, like, so weird. He was like, really, you're gonna have me destroy art? And it's like, you know, it's it's reprints, but he's just like, 
oh my god, you know, you're having my character destroy art. What well, is this? I'm an artist, damn it. That, that's interesting, because I was thinking about it before I watched it, and I was like, I remembered the parade the most. Yeah. Him being on the big that. birthday cake and, you know, throwing money into the crowd. Yeah, it has, like, Joker's face on it, I mm-hmm. think. It's counterfeit money. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I was trying to think, I'm like, okay, it's been such a long time. Like, yeah, that's really one of the biggest scenes. And it's kind of weird that for a Batman movie, we think of Joker. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I, I go on I go on and on and on and on about this to people. Is The biggest benefit Batman has as a character is... His no, villains? His villains. It's not him. It's his rogues gallery. Batman has the best rogues gallery, the deepest and most interesting rogues gallery of any superhero. Yeah, yes. Superman has Lex Luthor, General Zod, Brainiac. But Batman has Bane, Scarecrow, Joker, uh, Clayface, Clayface, Man Two- Bat, Man Bat, Two Face. He has the Riddler. He has the Penguin. He has. I goes on and on and on. Joker, and on. Harley Quinn, <laughs> and you can have a a fun or an interesting or a dark or or a campy or like an an engaging story with all these different villains. Like Batman has such a versatile storytelling ability because all of his different all of his villains can be interchanged and create totally different stories. You want a mystery? Put in the Riddler. You want, like, a almost like a comedy? You can put in the Joker and just, like, a black comedy. You want a drama? Put in Mr. Freeze. Uh, put in Mr. Freeze if you want to, you know, ball your eyes out at mm-hmm. the end. Or My oh, God, that episode of the animated series. It, you know what won an Emmy? I, it, yeah. It, I, it was, like, the mm-hmm. first animated series to ever win an Emmy for dramatic storytelling. And well-deserved. I just watched that episode, I think, maybe last week, because I'm working my way through, and I'm like... Snapped your soul in half. Oh, yeah. I was just like, wow. Like, this is just a man that is heartbroken over the loss of his wife. I'm like, yes, just hits you in the feels. But that's the thing. Like, the rogues gallery of Batman is his biggest benefit. Mm-hmm. And you have a diminished film if you can't deliver on the Batman villain. Yeah. Right? Because, like, we kind of see this in Batman Begins, where, wow, this he's a really good Bruce Wayne, but he's kind of a meh Batman. Mm-hmm. Because we have three villains in that movie. None of them really work. None of them are, like, all that intimidating. So we're just focusing on him as Bruce Wayne, because that's the only interesting part of the movie. Yeah. And then with, like, the Batman... Oh, the Riddler's kind of interesting. You know, he has this weird, like, Zodiac thing going on. His conspiracy, like, the whole thing going on. There's we, a murder mystery. You're, you're engaged with it. We have the Penguin, who's not quite the Penguin yet. But, but he has potential. He's working his way up to the Penguin that we know. And that's the thing. And he's so engaging because mm-hmm. he's, he's like, both intimidating, kind of kind of off-putting. But he's like, you, you can't help but watch him because Colin Farrell is just digging into that prosthetic. But that's the thing. Any great Batman film needs to have a great paralleling villain. Yeah. And this is the probably the only one we've watched so far where I think, okay, yeah. Yeah, this is this is a great templated Batman film because the Joker as the villain is the best foil oh, yeah. to Batman. And Jack Nicholson is having way, way too much fun than anyone else in any of these other movies. But that but that's the whole thing. That's my that's my tirade on the Batman. Uh, but well, okay, the the impact of the movie. I think we've gone, we've gushed hard about this movie. Oh yeah, it's there. But I guess, guess to round it out, to you know, kind of help try and wrap this up a little bit. Any any just thoughts on the movie? You know what what's what's this movie to you? This movie to me is one of the movies I think that's shaped me as who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I I saw this from a very young age. I grew up, you know 
because of this movie, I got the animated series, which is so near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, this movie's just everything. I think I kind of did a disjustice to myself by not watching it, by not wanting to ruin it. Mm-hmm. I think now I'm going to add it into the rotation, you know, where I watch it maybe once a year. But it's just, this movie's special in so many ways. Mm, I see. It's, you know, it's goofy, it's a little bit serious, it's a party. And it's just like... <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It, it's a party, and it's like, it just, it means a lot. It means a lot in my heart. Honestly, I think that's a great way to look at this film. Because, uh, like, don't get me wrong, like, I remember this film, like, really fondly, and mm. it's one of those things where, oh, I'm not gonna watch it anymore, because, mm. yeah, you know, that's a movie when I was, like, a kid, and yeah. I don't need it anymore. And I'll watch it again, and I'm... God damn, I, I, I had a big ass smile for like yeah. half the movie. It's such a fun movie. This movie I can wholeheartedly recommend to anybody, like no gripes. I think it still holds up as just a fun superhero movie. It doesn't really take itself all that seriously. No. It, it is a party and you can get so much mileage out of like, yeah, you can like half meme on the movie. Jack Nicholson is chewing the scenery. Michael Keaton is is it cannot turn his head at all and you can tell he's like a statue in the batman suit but you don't care because it looks so cool the movie and, looks so cool and that's how we get the batman head turn you know where he looks up into the camera it's like <laughs> where he has to pull his whole shoulders into it to gaze but yeah I, you know it's fun i mean even to the little details of where he's poisoning the city and you see the newscasters progressively look worse because they can't put on, like, their acne cream, uh, <laughs> hairspray, deodorant. And it's just, like, imagining a world, kind of like the beginning of the pandemic when we ran out of products. And it's just, like, well... Everyone's Instagram filters started getting um, used a lot more. Yeah, you know, filters. And it's just, like, well, I reek today, so you better sit pretty far away from me. I would risk it, but I don't want to die from, you know, whatever the Joker's putting into the products. Whatever <laughs> it is. And it's just the small details like that that make the film so funny and honestly i i really dig this movie i can't wait for us to get to to the final episode of the month and we get to like pair this one for one against all the other ones it's gonna be hard because i I mean i think it is because this movie has a lot of merits and i am just so excited to talk about all these movies once we we finish the the month because we're gonna stack up the the Batmobile. We're gonna stack up the cave. We're gonna stack up the oh, the Batman's, the movies, everything. Costumes, costumes, villains. But to do that, we got to talk about one last movie. That's it. One more movie. I'm kind of sad that we're ending Batman month, but there's so many sequels. I think we're gonna do a part two month in the future. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll try and bring these back. But next week... We're going to be talking about Adam West's Batman. Yes, the original. The the myth. The legend. Ad- Adam West. With the Joker, the Penguin. I think there's, the Riddler's there, in it. There's a lot of cameos in that movie. Yeah, yeah. That It was, it was the Batman movie that was made because the series was so popular. Oh, yeah. And they were like, look... We can put like a little bit of money, gauge it, and see how it how it works out. It is it is a TV movie, right? Like it's not it's like a budgeted studio film. It's mostly we're watching it for fun because we yeah we, you want to want to gauge it. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's actually like a movie movie or a made for TV movie, but it's your first time seeing it, right? Yes, I've never seen it before. I mean, I'm not expecting it to to blow my socks off. Yeah, you know, but I think it's gonna be good. We're gonna watch it and. 
that movie might will have an asterisk when we uh, rank it amongst the rest of the movies. But I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Me too. And yeah, you know, stay tuned because we're gonna be playing that game. Uh, it's is... not really a game. We're just gonna be like, all right, what's who's the best Batman? That's basically what it's gonna come down. But to. you know, it's gonna turn into what do you mean? That's the best Batman. What I do think you this. Mean? One... So be prepared for some arguments. But until then, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can find us on our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe, bells, whatever. Just, uh, yeah, show up. It's a lot of fun. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram at The Film Club Podcast. And with that, Boo, any last words? We'll see you next week at The Film Club. Have a good week, everybody.